welcome to AU City, a podcast where chaos reigns and stories get told in no particular order. For example, Ray was late to record today, so I did the thing that that people have been doing since the dawn of time when mm-hmm. their partner is late for a, for an activity or the friend's late, and I started adding shit uh, to the <laughs> script. It's it's similar to that Eliza Schlesinger stand up where she talks about how like you know there's a there's a perfect amount of makeup that a woman puts on for a date and every minute you're late after that it goes from like prettiest to like more and more crazy and there's mm-hmm. this one part of the joke that she tells where it's like you know you're like 20 minutes in you're adding glitter and stuff you're yeah. the glitter prince in this relationship I am so I wonder if I if I'm late one day if I'm gonna show up and you're just gonna be like diamond paste (laughs) (laughs) no there will be a day when I just have glitter on my face like we just turn the camera on and it's just there because it really happens in a organic nature (laughs) I'm excited for that day I am genuinely cannot wait for that day anyway I'm your co-host V my pronouns are she they and full disclosure I have been awake since 4am that neurodivergent vampire productivity disorder is no joke (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Speaking of which, may I, please, dear friend, your highness of glitter, may I request a brief info dump for our mutual benefit and the benefit of our listeners? Only because I know that the topic in some way can be brought back to glitter because uh i will do my best title. no it's so, okay so, it's just the title so <laughs> there we go there we go that, that's gonna yeah. go in the title somehow um so so last week as you as you know if you listen to it the pure fafo show episode um mm-hmm. we talked about a lot of things we covered a lot of territory it was a very long episode and one of the things that you brought up and i was like no not yet let's circle yeah. back to this was like putting shit in order so during my galaxy brain 4 a.m to like daylight episode that i had this morning we'll call it an episode in a good way But I ended up coming up with a brand new tool, a shiny new tool that I'm really excited (gasps) to share. And I'm going to tell you very quickly, and we don't need to go into it because we're going to, we're going to like do this later. I love this like cold open situation that we have going on here. So I'm not minding. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally unscripted cold open info dump, which is very neurodivergent. I feel for, it's very sexy and neurodivergent of me. So we talked (laughs) about one of the things you mentioned is like, there's certain, you know, scenes we have to put them in order because this has to happen before that. I call those dependencies, you know, in, in math and a lot of other problems there's always like dependencies when you're making a list of like this has to go before that so i came up with a new awesome tool so one of the things i talked about is that i'll spiral my ideas when i'm putting together a bible um you also talked about the david lynch masterclass which i went back and rewatched again yesterday because mm-hmm. i'm insane and also because i was like did i finish that it's really good but the thing you mentioned about how he'll like come up with 70 scenes in like no particular order and then put them together i like doing that too except instead of putting it on three by five cards i'll just like write it up in a spiral notebook like a scene where they go to the dance or a scene where uh nancy finds a severed head whatever right <laughs> and i just make a whole list of stuff like that and then as we did before we sorted into like a external conflict and internal conflict because you can pair those together really well sometimes like the walkabout mm-hmm. idea we came up with so what i did during my fugue state this morning is i wrote all the scenes for my novel that I'm working on, like in uh, pretty much all the major scenes, like there might be some extra stuff left over that I need to fill or, or some connective tissue, but like that doesn't matter. Right. So I made a list of like fr- probably if I had to guess like 50 scenes. And then what I'm going to do next is I normally put them once I have them all written down in my spiral, I type them up into an Excel spreadsheet or Google Sheets. Each scene is aligned so that I can resort based on whatever I want. Right. So the dependencies thing that I came up with is so when I go to type in all my little scenes, I'm adding three, one one of three or four dependency phrases to the beginning in all caps. So for example, it's like Ace sees Nancy in a sexy dress or whatever, right? I'm going to put either one of of three things. I'm either going to write before, after, or because. So like before and after is obviously like, Mm -hmm. you know, a 
um, before Ace sees Nancy in the sexy dress, he is arguing with Carson about whatever, right? So that's the dependency. Mm -hmm. And you put it at the beginning so that when you're here and you're sorting scenes, you know that you can't just put that fucker wherever, right? Because it's like right. before There's or something after. that has to happen before There's that. There's something that, that has to, to happen. Exactly. Like Marty pants. Thank mm -hmm. you. I do. Again, this is, this is what happens when the galaxy brain goes off. I will pay for it later. Don't worry. I'll probably like that's pass fine. out at four. Like, anyway. It looks like glitter. So you're fine. There, thank you. See, so so it's like Circle my, back. I guess my version of glitter brain. I like that. Um, so, so you oh, can put before or after moments. Yeah, right. Or <laughs> if it's a cause and effect thing and not so much a chronology thing, you can put the word because in all caps. So it's like, mm. for example, because Nancy found the severed head, now she knows that there's someone hunting, whatever, right? So yeah. you put those those words and then there's a fourth one that I will sometimes use for fuck around and find out scenes when I'm like, I don't know why I want this in here, but I know I want it in here. So I'll put bonus. And I, mm. I do this a lot with revisions where my editor will ask me like, hey, can you address this plot line? Like this happened to me last week. It's like, can you address this plot line more? And I'm like, yeah, I know exactly the scene that I'm going to write to address it, but I have no idea where it goes in the, in the narrative yet. So I'm going to literally write it like it's a deleted scene. Like, and I call it a bonus scene. And then I'll give it to my editor sometimes and be like, where do you think this fits? Where should we put this? Like, can we put it Thank at the end of chapter more. three? You know, yeah, we could put it in chapter six, whatever. But if you, if you title it bonus in your dependencies, when you put it in your spreadsheet, then you sort them by the the word it will automatically put them in a list and then we can do this the next thing i talked about which is where you then make a new column to the left and you can tag them as one of three things beginning middle or end so that's the second thing you do after you've put all your dependencies and typed up all your shit in your excel spreadsheet or your spreadsheet you just go in you put your dependencies you make a new column and then you're like okay does this scene feel like a beginning scene a middle scene or an end scene once you, you have that together what's to sell I'm, at some point we're gonna like codify all this and put it into a curriculum because mm -hmm. we're very we're very big on sharing information and I know verbal isn't everyone's way that works, but, I, like, but yeah, I've done this. totally like yeah. do this as like a template thing where like, well, yeah. uh, we don't need to get into I have so right many now, systems, but... you know, but like for yeah. me, the system, the reason I always use Google for everything is because like, it's a very easy system to replicate. It's so like, I don't mm -hmm. want you to have to pay me for my system. You can literally just make your own version that works. But my favorite part about this is that if you're not good with act structure and you just do this and then you sort it into beginning, middle and end, you've now got your shit in three act structure. Boom, done. And you Amazing. can just I know so so like this my next steps for myself I put together like a really insane to-do list for myself to like really kick my novel that I have to work on mm -hmm. in high gear so I can get it like finished because I've been faffing mm -hmm. around with scenes but um that's the thing that really clicked in my brain and now it feels like instead of it being oh no like there's too much work now it's like now I have a I have I have a bunch of scenes and I can jump around I can write them out of order as long as I always have my scene list to refer back to when I need it so that if there's a dependency or if there's something I forgot I can add it in when I'm in the revision phase so that's that my very similar actually. info dump my glitter yeah. cannon info dump of the I day I love it that was beautiful and honestly like that is kind of how I ended up finishing the novel Vanity and the Furious slash Blinding Lights for any of those of you who have not like been around but the one that we worked on together that was like when I was doing drafting that was kind of how I ended up doing that although I would I did it by hand because I'm a notebook person personally but yeah, we all know that. Anyway, Wait, did you draft? Did you draft like your whole? Oh no, when not you like say that. Drafting... I meant like oh, okay. So like when I was doing like the um bare bones outlinings that I do because I will always consider myself more of a pantser, although I really don't think that that exists a hundred percent. I feel you like we pants all pants off in the head. Part. You you paint yeah. in your brain. 
exactly. Yeah. It's a lot of pantsing in my brain. And then like, I, once I get things marinated, I will usually go ahead and further deep dive and like do a proper outline or at least, but usually all of like my outlines and my notes, they start off handwritten. Um, for certain things, I will definitely transpose them into Scrivener or whatever document that I'm using. Uh, but more often than not, it ultimately starts off notes, handwritten, drafting, all typed. And that's because my brain moves entirely too fast for me to draft by hand. But that's I also big, realized I haven't I even done my intro yet. So I need to introduce Sorry, myself. I'm still Absolutely. just the voice. So yeah, for anybody who doesn't know me, my name is Ray. My pronouns are he, they, and I am one of your co-hosts. And unfortunately, I the and the reason that we are running late, and it's because we are always running 15 minutes late here. Usually, I am the 15 minutes late with Starbucks Tumblr meme, but I don't have Starbucks and I don't endorse Starbucks because we don't support union busting on this podcast. So what I do have- thank you, is a uh, coffee that is caramel apple flavor that I literally just took the last sip out of. And that is delicious. Made it at home because can't I can and we're in late stage capitalism. And oh, most yeah. importantly, sometimes I write books. Most of the time I fuck around. Today we are supposed to be talking about a specific theme, but... I do want to close out this wonderful cold open that we've had because we're having a a good discussion here. So let's wrap this up and then we'll move over. So you were saying before I dove back into the intro. So I was asking you because I think you and I actually have this in common, but until Mm. recently we didn't realize we had it in common because I'm the same way. Like I, what I call drafting doesn't look like what a lot of people, like a lot of people to me, they'll call it like a vomit draft in screenwriting, for example. And it's like (laughs) all the stuff is there and like the dialogue will be there. Like they're doing it in a very granular barf out the scene kind of way. And I always was like, well, that's not me because all outline like is super detailed there'll be a smattering mm-hmm. of dialogue sometimes if a really good line will occur to me but my right. outline scenes can be anything from like literally one line of like this happens to like a four or five paragraph long and then this happens and because of this this person says this and this person says this and there's this one really awesome scene where someone so grabs so and so by the front of their shirt and like pushes them up against a wall and says x way like it's like that yeah. it's like the high it's like a highlight reel it's like a previously on that's exactly is what it what looks it is. like and when i write so one day I do, I need to clean this up more before like I would ever feel comfortable showing this to the public, but I do <laughs> kind of want to show off one of my, like my phone Scrivener like documents. Oh my God, you're more because... courageous than me. I would never, I would never show that. Oh, I would. I totally would. Especially for you're something that like, is already out. Yeah. Like, oh, one of my absolute favorite things that authors and just creators of any type like do is when they release the after everything is out, etc. Like when they release the stuff that like led them up to creating the story, etc. I love it. It's one of my favorite things and I've always been so excited to like yeah. have a story with all of that stuff that like one day if it's popular enough and if people actually want like to your know FAQ. how I did it. Yeah. Exactly. Or like your panels. Like I've done so many panels and I prepped for them. You know? Yeah. See, if exactly. I'll show you, I'll show you mine, but it's not going to make any sense. It looks insane. Like oh, no, it looks exactly what my, yeah, note, like a serial killer. And yeah, when I'm exactly. on my color coding bullshit, it's like even crazier like it's like just all over the place oh I totally get it I have literally um 
these uh, are not dry can we talk pens. about colored pens and neurodivergence at some point not now but yes. like maybe our next episode where we talk about tools and tips we'll talk about literal tools because colored pens man colored pens are everything and yeah like i said i will one day eventually i think i can i i would love to show off some of my story bibles and also show off some of just like my notes because i do feel like seeing the chaos and just seeing the the amount of the smallness that I put in here and the rest yeah. that I keep in my brain and just like get ready like and marinate in here. I think that yeah. that might be something that could actually make people realize that they don't need as much as they like think that they do to get started on stuff, except yep. for there's, I don't know, man. Point being. Yeah, I mean, I showed my murder board. I think you should totally show some, just throw some screenshots together and we'll put them up on social because I think those yeah. are, you might not need, you might need to explain them later, but like mine oh, yeah. was just apropos of nothing. You know, it's like, here's my weird door in my house. No, I uh, think that's perfect. But yeah, yeah. so I, I definitely think that's something we will circle back to. And now, on that note, we have officially hit our um, glitter cannon topic. I have and... a good segue for this, actually. Oh, you got a segue. Okay. Yes. Let's do it. Are you ready for this? Vroom, vroom. Who, who is your daddy? <laughs> well, we all know that Who's the daddy, your daddy of this AU City? <laughs> the daddy of this podcast has been Law Hudson. And like, yes, yes. Like, yeah, that's just the, the fictional character that V specifically created so that she could lust over Ryan Hudson in daddy form. You don't know. First of all, motive. Don't tell assumed. me. I have texts. Object. I have the, I object. I have the proof. I have the receipts. No, I no, am a Virgo. No I have them. First of all, we talked about voice memos and text being inadmissible unless consent we'll talk about this later but they were it's uh, not a thirst it's not so much a thirst well okay based it's more of a vest agenda if i'm being honest a vest and suspenders (laughs) agenda that i have and have had since i was a very young queer I have a large vest like collection and I really so feel like we should bring is back you want to put Ryan Hudson into a vest and suspenders. Not, Ry- not Riley like, Smith so or whatever his name be- is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Ryan Hudson. Mm-hmm. The actor who plays Ryan mm-hmm. Hudson because Ryan Hudson, the character is problematic a in a number of ways. You have a we, daddy agenda. I would argue this entire podcast has a daddy agenda. I yes, would say you and I definitely right have daddy now. energy. We have more daddy energy, which is why. Okay, so just to clear. So the overall topic for this week's is, podcast is, is, is... a fan? <laughs> All right, children. <laughs> Stay closer, friends. The rails. Here's... here's it's we're on that means we're right on track friends uh this week's theme is parental units and how they impact our character arcs but we're gonna be Mm -hmm. honest with you full disclosure you if you've been listening you know that this came about by our recurring discussions about not just law hudson the character that we created for au nancy drew season four but also our 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 recurring and yours in particular recurring rants about how pissed off you are i even made a t-shirt design this week just for you that says carson drew yeah in parentheses he knows what he did um (laughs) we will be rolling those out in short order at some point for all of your (laughs) holiday gift needs but in the meantime I want you to kick us off because I know that you and I share of all the fictional parents and we're talking fictional. This isn't therapy. Once again, we're talking Mm -hmm. fictional parents, but of all the fictional parents, I think that there's a really not unexplored, but not talked about often enough link between, especially in coming of age narratives, but just in general, like the way that we write or don't write a character's parents into the narrative says so much more than we think it does about our agenda 
for that character, right? So if you had to get like first, Phil, start kick us off with your your favorite fictional parents. I'm looking at them right now because if you don't know, I have a massive movie poster of them in my room of the animated it's, version. It's glorious. It's beautiful. And we can thank my sister for that. She used to work at a movie theater, but that is the Adams family. The Adams family takes the fucking cake. Honestly, they are the best fictional family I can think of. The best fictional. You're talking all iterations. Yes. All like iterations. From, the, from the black have, and white. OG. I have okay. yet to find an iteration of the Adams family that is not like woefully supportive of their children. Like absolutely wants to support them and their creepy fantasies and just basically be the best parents that they can be it's wonderful like Morticia in the movie I literally watched the movie like the the live action the popular one with Angelica I don't know what you thank you Angelica Houston yeah. I knew it was Angelica yeah. I couldn't get her last name the, the uh, classic millennial slash zillennial yeah Adam's family exactly so, so yeah. I was watching that the other night and there's this moment in the movie where they are going to the play and the teacher comes up to Morticia and is like I'm concerned about what your daughter is drawing and she's saying that it's like their great yep. ancestor Calpurnia Adams and they're so proud of her for wanting to follow in Calpurnia's footsteps. I but college it. first. Yeah. College first. And I There's just one special was, thing on her mind that all girls her age are thinking about. Murder. Murder. Homicide. And so yeah. Getting, oh, and also so like realistic rid of to being 13 years old. The most aggressive way possible. Oh, God. 100%. Yeah. There is a reason, by the way, why my middle grade niche is like the, the niche between middle grade and YA. Because that specific, I feel like we've missed out so much on the 13-year-old child slash especially like the the creepy the creepy mm-hmm. phase that every child goes through between like 11 and 13 specifically and especially it's if you've had such... trauma during that time oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and queer kids there's emo. something about yep queer and horror but when you think about Wednesday Adams and the all the stop animation things that are popular everything from Paranorman to Coraline every Lake of Studios production it is the only thing I've found that like truly really nails that that and like the Goosebump series like nails mm-hmm. that creepy child phase that we just don't talk about enough and I'm really happy to see it coming back and you and I are trying to bring it back I know you I don't do as much it. middle grade but you definitely bring it back I think in a in such a great oh thank yeah. you I really but I feel parents. like that is definitely it's a vibe that you know I just I've always fallen in love with and one thing that like personally for me I hate writing parents in books I hate it I have always been a YA writer for a very long time until recently when I started expanding my views but because of that I've always had to deal with the parent situation and so it's always been as somebody who has trauma with parents difficult to decide how I want to deal with that and so that is part of the reason why we kind of wanted to just like point out some good ones we didn't want to go into trauma dumping and discussing no, the therapy of our issues with parents. therapy policy today yeah we're gonna, we literally we're that was one of the first things I said <laughs> I was like we are not doing therapy if we're talking but about let's parents. be honest no. let's be honest again is not creating a form of therapy in itself and so I think by writing or not writing about parents especially a lot of you know neurodivergent people a lot of queer people who have complicated family relationships one of my biggest beefs with um you know ner- people who have 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 you know well-adjusted happy childhoods and and good relationships with their parents critiquing media that for whatever reason isn't like yay parents like moms and dads are amazing uh the most relevant example off the top of my head I can think of is Jeanette McCurdy's uh recent memoir that blew 
blew up. Mm -hmm. I'm glad my mom died. I recently read it and it was, there were a lot of things that I recognized about that narrative, but specifically like there's a, there's a quote she says about moms, about like moms are angels. They're, you know, they're perfect. Even if they're not perfect, they're perfect. Even if they're abusive, we're supposed to talk about how heroic they are and how amazing they are. And, and it's like the thing we apply to moms that we don't always do that for dads. But I think that that's something that definitely needs to be explored more, especially in younger media, stuff for YA and middle grade, like what happens when you have a terrible mom. Um, We can talk about that in the fictional sense today because no one's going to be ripping off any emotional band-aids under this Mm -hmm. whatever moon Mm -hmm. situation is happening. We picked good options here and we decided to have a specific type of setup today. We are, of course, going to do our usual fucking around and nothing will be too systematic. But ultimately, what we've decided to do is go through a list of our favorite and least favorite parents in fiction, mostly television, I believe. I think we've mostly, like, from my list, it's mostly TV. Yeah, it's almost all TV. So, yeah, books ones are, you know, it's obscure for some people. So, yeah, yeah, I also and, had a really hard time. Like, I went through my whole bookshelf. It's difficult. I think yeah. there's a reason why a lot of authors choose to, like, have the parents. That's a thing in YA, like, the dead parents oh, yeah. in YA. Or or parents I mean, that are soon to be. I was constantly reading YA. <laughs> well, and Queer Found yeah. Family is another thing that we both put yeah. a lot of in our stories. Um, like, this other script and pitching is literally about that, like, kind of decolonizing our idea of family. And, you know, the, it takes a village, but, like, a queer village kind of vibe. Exactly. Um, and that's very I will say, ultimately, relevant. we do have a, like, this entire situation is just, like, biological parents mostly i think i don't think we have like there might be some adoptive on my list yeah yeah Um, i i I don't have anybody in here that isn't like it's not a found family situation we are talking about like uh, at the very least i think we're gonna need a whole episode of found families for you and i have to discuss that in a completely different and siblings separate episode for siblings too yeah we have all of this has to be different because we will have too many emotions and it will be like a four-hour podcast and i don't think anybody has the time to listen to that (laughs) <laughs> so I mean, yeah. and if we you might do, have the time to record it one day but i feel like that would yeah, be really difficult yeah. anyway so for now parents and parents. as you said in the parameters we'll do so because we're daddy agenda obviously we'll do dads first yeah. yes yes and then we'll, we'll do moms do first. yep we'll and do then moms. we'll make we're gonna make up our own awards our own we superlatives we're gonna make up the best awards we are doing au city superlatives right now for the first time Hell yes yeah it's I gonna be like good we'll, we'll be probably continue to this. do this yeah especially yeah, when like they're just pulled completely out of nut like out of thin air without any preparation whatsoever that feels very nice oh it does i think it's perfect so honestly i feel like we should just go ahead and start discussing some of our favorite parents at this point since let's start off with with the daddies because as we know this is the daddy agenda podcast and we've already discussed today's well not today's the podcast's always daddy so let's go ahead and veer into other fictional daddies v would you like to take us away with some of your favorite fictional dads which i will go ahead and agree with because they're my list too i can well so here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna give i'm not gonna explain the whole thing but i'm gonna say the name and i'm gonna give like one reason that is either directly or loosely related to you know storytelling so i love it uh so for example my number one list of dads and i'm using air quotes is rupert giles which is not technically a dad but it's definitely a daddy once again here's my best agenda rearing its ugly head only one that doesn't fall into the 
actual parent category, but ultimately he does become her father figure and he is like the dad in the show. So well, I still think And I can make many cases as well for parents who are not who are parenting other people's kids or kids that don't technically belong to them. I'll bring that up later. But for example, like Rupert Giles was like a surrogate, you know, father figure to Buffy, but he was also a surrogate father figure to Willow in a lot of ways. Cause you literally I don't think ever saw her parents. I think that you yeah. do you do meet her mom multiple times. Uh there is an episode where her mom uh you know tries to burn her at the stake because she's a witch oh, and there's, okay, a, there's like one then. or a, one other time i think that we see maybe her or we see like we hear her voice but she is in fact an actual character in that episode so Okay. Well, that aside, so Rupert Giles, my my reason being that he is just one of the more iconic daddy with a capital D energy. Like when you rewatch that later in life, it's 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 hard not to really it's hard not to be distracted by his but you're in love with Angel when you're a teenager and you're like it's broody and he's hot. And then as an adult, you come back and you look at Giles and you're like, Yeah. Well, we'll Hello. have a thirst trajectory. I think at some point we need to make like a, a spider web of thirst trajectories, um, which would be a lot of fun for both of us. And then we can mock each other I'm for each other's like, you know, That's crush spectrum. Yeah. But specifically for, for Rupert Jalas, one of my favorite things about, and he's not perfect. He doesn't do everything perfectly. There's a lot of things that don't hold up. But my favorite thing just in general is there's one, there's numerous times where Rupert's like uptight Britishness is like the comedy factor, right? Mm-hmm. And there's numerous times when you see this character throughout the series, you're you're holding yourself and you're expecting him to be kind of a prude or you're expecting him to be kind of harsh or cold. And, you know, not no offense to my English friends, but like cold and British, you know, about everything. Right. And there are numerous times where this, this character and the way that this character is written and the actor does it perfectly where you're bracing yourself for him to treat Buffy like there's one thing where he has an opportunity to slut shame her basically mm-hmm. when he finds out that she slept with Angel right and and you expect him to say something and he does the exact opposite of that he basically is like I'm I'm not gonna judge you or you can't like you know she's waiting for him to judge her and, and he's he like, instantly ba- basically placates her and tells her it's not her fault like it's one of those oh, yeah. moments where like it's like, not even every- just saying like yeah, it's like the anti-patriarchal, anti-toxic masculinity. Rarely does he ever do that. Sit back, little lady. Interesting, considering that that was a Joss Whedon situation. There, we could do a was... whole ass podcast mm. about terrible creators who accidentally do a good job. Or, in my opinion, the actors make up the difference. Because probably right. if, the more you write scripts, and we'll talk about this again later too, but like the more you write scripts, the more you realize how much wiggle room is in them and how many times they get rewritten from when the creator comes up with them and how many writers in the writer's room go through and write and rewrite and rewrite and every single line of every single episode of television you've ever watched has been gone over with a fine tooth comb multiple times which is hilarious when you think about how bad some turn out anyway you know because you're like what but it really is that's so whenever I see in tv especially when one showrunner will get all the credit I get really annoyed by that because it's like in tv specifically it's one of those it takes a village to raise an idea industries and that's one of the reasons I love it so much because of how collaborative it is that being said though so Giles is one of mine and it's it's mostly just because of that that relationship but i also love the mother hen character dynamic where and especially when it's a man like he kind of gathers everybody you know and like Mm -hmm. accidentally it's like i don't know how i adopted these weird all all sorts of different species of animal but now i have them and it's my like i love that kind of oh shit i'm a parent now and i didn't sign up for this you know that's one of my favorite tropes Speaking of that, I feel like that's a really good segue into mine personally. And I realized okay. I didn't actually post all of I, I only have a few like that are different no, from these. So I'm just gonna add who's, them who's in. Your next, who's your next daddy? Yes. Hopper, Stranger Things. 
Okay. I see it. I'm surprised, honestly. Oh, I fucking love Hopper. I will say uh, third season Hopper, not my favorite. He did go a little crazy, but I also understand like the writing. I get what was happening. There was a lot. That's the one where he's like hitting on Joyce really aggressively, right? Yes. I haven't watched the whole new season, so that's on me. But I'm not spoiling anything past season three. So don't worry about that. I do Uh, I do like that though. But like that's a great Giles and him are are kind of in the same archetype. Exactly. And the thing about Hopper. Oh sorry. No, no, I'm just saying, but like but they handle conflict very differently. Totally differently, right. But they also do have two very different children at the same time because ultimately, yes, he, and like I said, this could, I guess, fall into found family as well, but I see this more as like adopted dad slash he did have a biological kid that is part of the narrative. We just don't meet her. We only see her in flashbacks. But point being, I think that Hopper is actually one of, like aside from his season three fucker, fuckery, which I mm, I have issues with how they wrote him and how they dealt with him dealing with Ellen Mike and also the Joy situation. But season two Hopper, season one Hopper, where he just begins to decide to care about these people and then falls in love with being a dad to Elle. And realizing that this is something that he needs and that he benefits from and it makes him a better person while also like he can try to keep this little girl safe who needs him and needs somebody to rely on. It just it's one of those things. I do think he was too overprotective. I do think that he could have done things a lot differently. But from a perspective of like justifying his actions, I can see why he did it. So Hopper, high on the list for me. High on the list. Also, I just love David Harbour. I really do love David Harbour. So. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually think that this is a great way to kind of cluster some of them together so that we don't have to talk in depth about every single one because I just right. realized that this this is an archetype, like mm-hmm. the kind of adopted father figure of a supernatural slash paranormal child. So like, you know, think of almost every literally superhero supernatural show ever, show. right? Yeah, supernatural. So like, super, so, so literally a couple more of mine on my list can get can get grouped into here. And what would we title? So like, so like, for example, so Rupert Giles, Hopper, um, Styles Skolinski's dad in Teen Wolf, Styles' dad, the the sheriff. I'm I'm, the other Styles. The others. Yeah. So and then uh, John Winchester are all Mm -hmm. like dads or adopted dads or absentee fathers, like all kind of in the same category of like of like, quote unquote, chosen ones. John Winchester can kind of be in like the far right version of that category where he's kind of more of the deadbeat dad archetype he's, he's, and also technically yeah. his kids aren't really chosen ones per se but well, they kind of are they kind of are, are but like God definitely in the them. same in the venn diagram of like paranormal supernatural like dads but they right. all exist in the same thing but what i what i think is really interesting that kind of ties these together is like from a storytelling perspective it's like why do they exist you know why did you create this character how does this character perfectly match up with or play off against or provide a foil to like the character that they're supposed to be parenting main character or characters it's like for example you know Styles' dad and Styles' relationship. I'm still currently in a in a comfort rewatch, as you know, of Teen Wolf. Oh, of and I realized this. There's so many. I think they actually have the most iconic like parent-child relationship of like weird codependency slash. Them. Yeah, but like, but like it's so interesting. And they have some of the toxic parts, and they have like the fact that you know he's a cop, but they also, like you're saying, Hopper, I think Hopper and Styles' dad are like on the same spectrum of like cop dad who like mm-hmm. overreacts 
or underreacts to like paranormal situations accordingly. You know? Right. Like, no, and, I agree with that. And yeah. I do think that there is an added layer, especially with the codependency, both to Hopper and Styles' dad. They both had major losses in regards yep. to their family in the past, which makes them incredibly the overprotective. Yep. 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 Single parent. In this case, uh, with Hopper, his child died and then his wife left him. And then with Styles' dad, we have the situation where his wife went crazy and then she died. Yeah. And he knows that his son has a, a, a few issues on top of the supernatural. Which is again John Winchester to a T mm-hmm. in a different in a different life, right? Like exactly. they almost like if he'd done the crop route and had done the I'm gonna be a good dad instead of get revenge for on the demon yeah. that killed my wife. I know you're right, because it's it's, it's like single fathers who did not handle the death of their wife well at all. And you know used other means there's one episode i just watched where styles dad um threatens to pistol whip some kids <laughs> who who beat up his son and it's like damn that doesn't age well you know but but it's great because like looking at how toxic john winchester was at the time and like you know people still loved him but like now it's especially like really toxic dad like deadbeat and like kind of abusive parenting but i love the fact that like, you know you've got that like old school like boomer like suck it up style dad you know and in that spectrum there's so many things you can do that are interesting and how that impacts the character because it's sam and dean that are the that are the result of that right right and i do feel that when it comes down to it we don't actually see that boomer dad very often in tv in supernatural cases like this specifically as a a character that is a at any way meant to be a mentor or somebody who the our main characters looked up to, more often than not, they are characters like Hopper or Giles or Styles' dad who are to a T incredibly empathetic, even though they will not necessarily show it in the same way. Whereas with John, John had a one-track mind. He wanted revenge. He wanted to protect his family because he knew that there was something related to the boys, but he did not know what it was. And so he was so determined to protect them in his own way that he ended up ultimately harming the kids more than he ever would have had he just decided to walk away from the revenge and let nature of whatever hellish situation was going to happen take its course and i find that to be actually really interesting now that i'm thinking about it it's a it's not something we really do see very often yeah we see a lot of bad dads and a bad you know bad decisions made etc but i think it is now that i am considering it especially for a character that we follow fairly regularly i mean yeah he doesn't pop up very much in the show but we know what he was doing we end up having a fairly good map of his life up until he leaves the boys essentially by the at least halfway through the series i'm saying and this is somebody who you know stopped has stopped watching around like season eight or so at the moment but yeah and so it's just it's very interesting the whole thing is interesting well so i'm actually as you're talking i'm writing down a list of questions for myself for future parent you know for future fictional parents that i create whether i'm creating them this is also a question it's like a chicken egg question right it's like what came first, the character or the parent? Like some people are obviously going to be writing mm-hmm. a story, not you or I probably in the near future, but like some people write a story from the perspective of the parent. You know, their character is a parent. They are a mother or they are a father or the author writer is someone that has children and they're writing from that perspective or that dual perspective. 
But a lot of people like me, for example, I come up with the character first a lot of the time. And then if I realize I need to have a parent character or like a surrogate parent character or some someone parenting this individual, mm-hmm. I will reverse engineer what I think the parent would have been like based on the traits that the character has. So some of the questions I came up with while you were talking is like, mm-hmm. first of all, at what point, at what point in the character's arc does the parental figure appear? You know, is it like right. before their call to action? Is it after? Were they always there? Um, you know, were they biological, adopted, found or chosen later in life? Um, you know, is it where they were, you know, is it after the person came out as a chosen one that they then moved in with their found family, which is also very queer of a narrative, by the way, that we'll talk about Oh, here. yeah. Um, you know, but also like what positive and negative beliefs or traits do the characters share with their parents? Mm, um, that is something one. like the like Winchesters are a great example of how and that's exactly two how they got heads is that they're too yeah. similar 99% of the time. Well, Dean, Dean and John, but like, that's why it's so great because it's a narrative about two sons and how two sons were very differently impacted by the same father, but not being raised by the same father in the same way. And so it's, that's not what the story is about. But to me, that's one of the main things that makes the show so intriguing and interesting is it's really is, it's a generational trauma story. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, now they have a whole spinoff about that, where it's like the origin of the generational trauma. I'm really so, excited for that spinoff. I know that might be ridiculous, but I am. So. I didn't, it's not out yet right i haven't i haven't i think it might have just premiered like legit we'll have to to watch that and talk about it in a future episode we'll we'll watch it together um because i think you and i all have uh, similar thoughts but like you're you're the one that started my supernatural obsession so i'm ready to die i can't that's oh my god that must have been so long ago but so 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 this is really good though because like so we can put a pin in like the problematic father slash like they're just fathers in general i think i'm glad we started with daddies but like a couple no. more of my people that i have to bring up like that are a different vibe so number one from my childhood this one's a book one but it's also a show oh, matthew fine. cuthbert matthew cuthbert is one of those characters not just in the original you know canadian megan follows version of anne of green gables but like in the new anne with an e netflix like i this character in the books in the movies in the show it does not matter every time matthew cuthbert this adorable old i think canonically ace by the way uh old canadian man Mm. is i can't i i have you know i don't like admitting to have emotions i cannot keep my shit together when this man is on the screen or when I'm reading about him in a book. He is to me the epitome of what every father should be. And my favorite part about Matthew Cuthbert is that it was kind of an accident that he adopted a girl. That's literally the, the you know, the inciting incident is when she, Anne of Green Gables, if you haven't read it, what's wrong with you, first of all? But like, you know, Anne, Anne Shirley gets brought home. She's supposed to be a boy and he is too much of a softy cinnamon roll, you know, dad. Cinnamon, this is what happens when cinnamon rolls grow up, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he's too much of a cinnamon roll to tell her that there's a mistake. And so he just brings her home and just falls in love with this little girl in a way that is just so soft and lovely and wonderful but also in the new adaptation and with an e that i am obsessed with they they show him having like crippling social anxiety and they show him having it's very difficult for him to be a parent to this very hyperverbal very intelligent child because they even you know they talk about the fact that he you know he had a learning disability when he was younger and he was non he was literally non-verbal as a child and the way that the new the creators of the show brought in so much more that hadn't been in the books to make i feel like that was the reverse engineering like just looking at matthew cuthbert mm-hmm. from every different angle of the series or the book and how it's changed with time i feel like the latest it the latest iteration of matthew cuthbert they took him and they're like okay we have this you know this iconic and shirley character who you know i identify with a little too much probably mm-hmm. was like my <laughs> love as a, in, in all literature stories and it's like they're like okay what would be the most difficult 
types of traits for a person to have if they decided and chose to raise a child like this? And like, what could we bring out? And that's why I love the flashbacks that they wrote in about him that weren't, that hadn't been in the original books. Um, The part where he gets a part in the school play and he's just completely beside himself. Like every single, I cry like a little baby, (laughs) like a little infant with with no self-control right every time i love it but i love it everyone i don't know what while. archetype that is i'm gonna just call it the cinnamon roll father archetype where it's I think like really reasonable and the father i would choose in real life basically like not fictional if this man right. was real i would want him to adopt me okay nope i and i have a perfect segue for that one into our next dad before we start jumping into moms okay I have a great segue i don't know why i didn't think about this before mr Keith Mars. Veronica okay, also, Mars's also dad. a top dad. I that think he is, belongs in the styles category. I, honestly. I, I agree. However, however, I'm mad at myself too. I can't believe. I know. I can't believe I didn't, I hadn't thought about him. That was why you saw me have a mini freak out on camera a moment ago is I had this sudden realization. I, was and I thought you were, you were just falling out of your chair. No, um, that does happen, but you will actually see the fear of death in my eyes when that yeah. happens. It's I mean, really I've fallen funny, out of my chair but, twice already. Oh, good. Yeah. No, the fear of death happens. It is hilarious. People have been like, are you okay? You literally look like yeah. you're about to die. And I was like, yeah, I was just no, terrified. I could see it. That was an excited flail. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, so, I can't believe I didn't think of Keith Mars. The, the yeah. banter. He is the ultimate for me, for me. And also it's kind of funny because I do feel like I have this kind of bantering situation with like my adopted chosen family dad uh, who I live with. But Keith Mars is for me, if I had to pick a fictional dad to be my own dad, I would pick Keith Mars during his private investigator era specifically. I don't need Sheriff Sheriff Mars. Are you talking about like in this, the new series, like the post when he runs for Sheriff? Okay. Yeah. Like I don't need like all of that specifically. Like I, as soon as he is, you know, just his private investigator self, I'm good with him. Like I just just created a category of parent based on this. Oh, I'm going to call it the take your kid to work dad. Oh, I and love I it. Like, I feel like it's actually there's mothers like Lorelai Gilmore, who's on my list for no, later, right. is a take your kid to work. It's the kind of parent that like, whether intentionally or unintentionally raises their kid to be like, you know, in their shoes, um, mm-hmm. whether they I mean to feel or like not. Both Carson and Nancy's mom, whose name I cannot remember currently, I feel are kind of that parent on accident Eight. because they brought so much work home. And so like, Nan- that's part of the reason why Nancy became the way that she is, is because she actively watched her parents be these people and be their work persona all the time that's very true and in the books too like when her mom is also not there her dad will like be talking about cases and he'll he basically uses her as an unpaid investigator which is funny because there's a whole new tv show um about that where it's like a a new version of that like you know person who becomes you know it's it's like pi for lawyers basically oh yeah um it's a thing that that is an actual job but like looking back at the old books, you're right. She was mostly doing stuff that like, it always started out with like, oh, my dad has a case about this thing. And then occasionally she would stumble into a crime, but he would always get involved. I do feel like that's part of the reason why Veronica Mars works so well is that I feel like Veronica Mars, I mean, very obviously has a Nancy Drew inspiration oh, both from sure. you know yeah. just her and it literally was pitched as nancy drew yeah it's like nancy exactly. drew meets it's noir is how it's and the banter they have especially in season one is mm-hmm. specifically like the writer talks about that a lot about how they were trying to lean into like a noir pi exactly. banter like ah oh, we're gonna put the screws to them you know like but right. like and that's yeah. one of my favorite things about season one is the way they talk to each other 
Yeah, like, I agree. And I mean, it, adult. It he, at no point does he treat her like characters. she's her age, which is another category of parent. I agree. Like an I feel like that is like that. The take your kid to work overlaps as a Venn diagram with I don't treat my child the age that they are. For <laughs> like, sure. I treat my and child like an adult all the time until you know I'm ther- yeah. with their behavior, essentially. You know how therapists are always talking about like parentified <laughs> children? Uh, my therapist at least always is, you know, uh, per- oh, if you're parentified. Yeah. We're parentified. That's us. Yeah. Welcome to and- the parentified podcast. <laughs> And I feel like there's such an interesting, someday we're going to have to sit down and make these Venn diagrams, by the way, so we're not just bullshitting, you know, charts and graphs, but like the the parentified, there's, there's like a, another word for it that in specifically fiction, it's like they're used, they're treating their kid more like a colleague almost. Yes. Which, you know, again, Winchester's hundred percent family business, you know, you're going to learn to hunt Carson. Yeah. And, and like, you know, technically it's like, or like an employee, which again, I was definitely used as an employee by my father growing up Mm -hmm. in so many ways, which is how I learned spreadsheets and autograph. Anyway. We could literally just keep pulling them out of our asses. I think, and that's, and that's pretty much my whole list, except for the only other one I forgot to mention was the other person that I would want to be my dad in real life. And I think we can all agree that Stanley Tucci's character from Easy A is the father that we all need to deserve. It's not just, I don't want just Stanley Tucci though. I want both both of them. Yeah. I want both parents. I can never remember that actress's name off the top of my head. She plays Ron's first wife in Parks and Recreation. If you are not familiar with any of her other comedy roles, that is one of my other favorite iconic moments. She is Tammy One and she's just wonderful. And I always want to call her Laura Dern. She's not Laura Dern. I love both of her them. Her name is Patricia Clarkson and Patricia she is Clarkson. a goddamn legend. Yeah, Patricia Clarkson is a fucking legend. Both of her, like her and Stanley Tucci together as parents in that movie. I want an entire film that is just them movie night. Like, that's it. I want to watch movie night commentary at the Easy A parents' house. 100%. I would even watch The Bucket List, which is a terrible movie, by the way, with them because of that movie. Yes. I I would watch anything as long as they were giving commentary on it for two and a half hours. So I just Googled this. Full disclosure. Can we do a podcast together, please? Thank you. (laughs) Well, I think this is a perfect segue into moms, though, because Patricia Clarkson is like the iconic mom. She's like the perfect in the Venn diagram. I'm going to use that way too many times today. The Venn diagram between MILFs and like genuinely good mothers. I Mm -hmm. feel like she deserves and I'm going to look up her IMDb right now to see what other stuff she plays moms in. Because off the top of my head, I know Easy A I feel like she maybe plays a mom in Sharp Objects, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, that is a um, completely different Lars topic. and the Real Girl is another one of my faves. Oh, I do And I can't, that. I think she might not play the, I think she might play like a sister in that one, but it's amazing. Have you ever seen that one? Yes, it's I have. One it's been Ryan, yeah. But, but I like, do you know, recommend anything with Ryan Gosling. She Gosler, just has a soft, she has like a soft Dom librarian energy have you have you seen her in parks and rec because oh yeah yeah okay i was gonna say because yeah i feel like that is the exact energy that she brings to everything this is not a mother but also do you remember that terrible sarah michelle Gellar movie simply irresistible from 1999 where she plays a chef 
Sarah Michelle Gellar plays a chef. This is during her Buffy era, by the way, obviously, where she uh, inherits a restaurant. We might need to watch that and talk about it later because in that one, Patricia Clarkson plays the sexy secretary. Not only does she completely steal the film, but it is one of the most banana balls movies of all time. There is a magic, there's a magic crab uh, and it's a contemporary realistic for the most part, but there's, she can control people's moods through food which actually hilariously factors in one of my oh, latest projects. You, we'll talk about that later. Actually the same, there's a Brittany Murphy movie about that called Ramen Girl and it is my all-time favorite, like, Brittany it's a, Murphy. It's a like, premise that's surprisingly, film. yeah, and, been yeah, used a couple times. Japan with her, like, fiance and then he, like, leaves her and abandons her in Japan and she falls oh, in yeah. love with this little ramen shop and she becomes, like, the apprentice to this grumpy old man dad who ter- like takes her in and like I did end up begins- seeing that a million years ago in oh, my so wonderful but so Patricia Clarkson I can't think of a single time I've ever seen her play a parent where she didn't just hit it out of the park she's also a hot aunt in a lot of things which we can you know bring up as oh, a yeah. as like a subcategory in the future like honorable mentions but yes she's definitely on my list I did not put her on my list of moms but she definitely just as an actor not even as a character like also just before i'm sorry i just remembered this before we completely forget that you just brought up a really random old sarah michelle geller movie can i also bring up a really random old sarah michelle geller movie that actually has to do with publishing yes and try and find a way to loop it into parents somehow if you can oh that's so easy it's alex okay, go for it. he's literally go in for it perfect song. thank you so uh it's called suburban girl it is a romance between sarah michelle geller and alec baldwin Ew. and unfortunately i fucking love this stupid movie it's one of I'm those horrible horrible rom-coms that like i don't even know how i found this 2007 yeah i googled yeah. it and it's about in this movie? book editors in traditional oh, no. publishing. It is horrible, but oh, I love no. it. it was I'm going to so, watch this so hard. I will. Here's the reference. I'll watch this with you as well. If you ever want to watch, if you're like me and Ray and you randomly have a hyperfixation or like a, a plot bunny that you want to follow and you want to watch a super obscure movie, I highly mm-hmm. recommend a website called justwatch.com where you can type in literally any movie or TV show and it will tell you where it is streaming, which That's will save you so much time and energy. I that shit every day. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, you're you welcome. I have it like bookmarked and I'm constantly like, That's and sometimes I'll stop right myself now. from hyper, like the Teen Wolf thing. I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch Teen Wolf and unless it's easily accessible to me. And then I looked it up and it was streaming on like six platforms and I was like, yes. So yeah, it's a great website. all over the place right now. So anyway, I'm moms. literally though. going through right now. But moms, so, yeah. I definitely so- think hot moms is the whole category by itself. Like moms who are arguably more main character than the main character if it's a coming of age. So like, yes. you know, I think she kind of steals it from Emma Stone and EZA for sure. But also... In my personal opinion, and this might cause some problems, I personally believe and choose to feel that Lorelai Gilmore is actually the protagonist of Gilmore Girls. And a lot of people are doing their annual fall rewatch of that show. I'm not going to go deeply into the problematic stuff, but I will say I do not like the other character that is one of the, you know, the titular Gilmore Girls of three, arguably, in the Mm -hmm, the show. mm Mm-hmm. Um, but Lorelai, I continue, there's a couple times where she, you know, does not hold up with her behavior, but in general, I continue to find her the most interesting character. They all piss me off. 
as somebody who oh, yeah. grew up watching the show and like it was one of those things that i like watched religiously with my mom you oh know? yeah it does not uh, hold up in a lot of in a lot of ways not and unfortunately Except i think the relational trauma so toxic and it's so sad right generational like, trauma that's but, kind like, of the point right like the paladinos like their we whole like wow we relate to this so much and it's like wow you relate to it so much and it's so dysfunctional we all have so really toxic. dysfunctional so families yeah right? but like but here's why i think it's iconic if you think about it as not prescriptive parenting, like the, it, right. in no way, shape or form, is it like how to be a good parent or even how to be a bad parent? But like, if it's just illustrative, which is one of my things that we'll constantly argue about on like book Twitter and uh, about, you know, especially writing YA, it's like, oh, well, you gotta, it's like, no, you've got to illustrate. Sometimes you just have to illustrate how we ended up this way. And mm-hmm. if your story is about a single mother who got pregnant when she was a teenager and had to raise a child by herself and her teenagers without help from her toxic, you know, very toxic, very kind of Republican family. She, what would she do it? And I feel like the way that they wrote that character and the way that they had how she, like, it's a perfect, I think Gilmore Girls is this, it's a masterclass in the matriarchal trickle down system of whether it's good habits, bad habits, uh, toxic whatever like generational trauma how we pass things down mother to daughter to mother to daughter that show is a perfect illustration of i think a hundred percent and i think it's also a perfect show of not just the passing down of trauma but the projection of trauma and the projection of of, like yeah you take it is the perfect example of how messy things get when you project your pain onto your family members and especially your kids, etc., like it's it, I think she who shall not be named is a perfect example of literally like not just being around that projection all the time, but trying to be shielded it from that projection to the point where it was detrimental. To oh, what yeah. was going on or like and then she projects on everything else yeah like i do think it's again it's a master class in writing correction yeah yeah like like <laughs> you're 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 trying so hard not to fuck someone up in one way that you fuck them up in a different way like i think that that show is just a, a master class in intentions versus what actually happens also, and it's very character driven entitlement it is Enti- it, oh my god very interesting study of entitlement yes. and yes. the growing like how yes. that becomes how it happens entitlement privilege and like east coast liberal uh ideals uh 100 mm-hmm. again that's not the theme of this podcast but we could it's definitely not. talk about it it's but not. i We're i will say this like my list as i i wrote down on my list as you can see on our notes mine don't say best and worst mine say most iconic and i feel like that is my my thesis of my list is all it's not that they're good bad it's not that i agree with them for me it's like most iconic sticks in your brain they hold up over time as a character and there's someone that we talk about and think about and like want to study and to me like that's an iconic character i had such a hard time coming up with a list of parents from books because when i think about and this might be a generational thing but like when i think about like the most iconic books that i read and i thought i think about the characters I always remember the characters like the main characters, but like so rarely did they have a parent who wasn't the main character who I remember. You know what I mean? They just yeah. they just kind of didn't impact the story one way or another. So because this is a storytelling podcast, I do think it it is, you know, you, you got to put Lorelai and you also have to mention Emily Gilmore as like a very important. Yeah, I agree. I very much agree. 
Yeah, I think that they at the very least are honorable mentions, like your little thing says. But I do think Lorelai is, I think not only is she the best character in that show, but I do think that she is a perfect example of just like a single mom trying her fucking best more often than not. The mistakes Lorelai makes 99% of the time are mistakes she makes because she is trying her goddamn best to not fuck everything up all the time and that is kind of what you're doing when you're a single parent and you don't have support or you don't have the support you need even though you do have a bridge to support you know it well and you're so right about the projection too there are so many mistakes she makes purely because she's projecting like someone made a tweet thread about this because you know it's the season everyone talks about gummo girls for some reason um someone made a thread about there's like a line in it where she finds out that paris did get into her school because she had sex and like rory rory was a virgin still and she like turns to someone and says i got the good kid and it's like so does not hold up at Mm -hmm. all because you know she's like congratulating herself for her daughter keeping her virginity in high school but to me like that is such a perfect moment of like projection of a trauma that she very clearly has not yet gotten over the fact that she still shames herself and blames herself for getting pregnant in high school yeah that and the fact that like as little as not being a virgin suddenly makes paris not a good kid oh yeah oh there's so many things wrong with it it's fine it doesn't make her any less smarter (laughs) like but i will defend lorelei gilmore as a character until my dying breath because that is such a human that is such a human moment that she has that is such a moment of Mm -hmm. like you fucked up and you said you blurted something out and you didn't think it through and it's it's actually really harmful and if you had asked lorelei do you think paris is this lot like are you you know like do you think this she would have been like absolutely not she would have fought you for saying right. that you know like she would if fight a, if a parent came up to her and said do you think that paris is a bad kid she would have been like why the fuck are you asking yeah. me that that's exactly. not exactly that's yeah. not my child like you know she very much would have been a you know a decent person yeah. in the moment but in the moment she's fucking happy that her kid didn't fuck up enough to ruin her chances yeah. at something which i get but it's, and again yeah, it's that it's internal she still got that internal blame blaming herself for you know quote-unquote ruining her own life well, which again is yeah. a big part of the the unsolved trauma the unresolved trauma none of these women chose their lives and exactly. that's i think one of the things that really dials into that privileged patriarchy people are always talking about right i yeah on that note i kind of want to segue away from lorelei a little bit because i think that's fair there are two moms that I would love to talk about real quick. I want to hear. Yes, I want to hear. You. They were both on your list for the record. I don't have any additional moms. I do have one additional mom, but I don't have much to say about her. And I also can't remember her name currently. But the mom from Lock and Key is one of my favorite moms oh, yeah. in in like TV. And I have not finished the series yet. I know that sounds horrible because it is one of my favorite shows. Oh. I have not gotten my heart to do it yet. I'm not ready. So nobody tell me anything. Yeah. Point being, so Nina, Nina Locke as played by you. Darby Stanchfield, in case thank anyone you. is wondering. And this show is on Netflix and we're both yes. big fans of it. And also, it's it a is, great okay. middle grade show. It's a middle grade show that also is a comic book um, series written by Joe Hill, written and created by Joe Hill, who is uh, Stephen King's son. And I am a big fan of Joe Hill's work, honestly. Just about everything he's adapted. I'm always reminding me, and I keep forgetting. (laughs) I'm here to remind everyone about the nepotism in fucking Hollywood (laughs) and in fucking publishing. I am here to do it. However, 
I appreciate that about you. Whatever happens, you're thank you. That's what I'm here for. But literally, if Joe happens to ever listen to this podcast, I do greatly love his work. I really do. I think that like he has Doctor Sleep is one of my favorite things ever, and I watch that fucking adapt adaptation constantly. Point being, Lock and Key, he did a fantastic job of creating Nina Locke. I cannot go into a ton of detail without spoiling a lot of stuff about it, but I do find that as a single mom doing her damnedest and also having memory loss issues due to the fact that magic is constantly happening, massive grief, she is doing her best. She is... Got, she has got to be one of my favorite parents because she legitimately cares so much. And she that's does, another example of a human parent. I'm writing this down. I think human that's, parents. She is the most realistic mom that I have seen in a while. Uh, otherwise, and now with that, I am segueing back into my original topic. My other two most realistic moms, who I also think are just fantastic moms most of the time. Basically, Joyce Summers, Buffy's mom, and then Melissa McCall from Teen Wolf. She is Scott's mom. I have a giant, 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 like, heart boner for Melissa McCall. I think she is one of the best. I have a literal boner for Melissa. I mean, yeah, also I tweeted about this the other day. (laughs) Good. I'm glad that it's there for the public. I'm not hot enough to to play. I realized this about myself the other day. I am not hot enough to play a parent on a CW TV show. Like, my ship has sailed, Ray. Do you realize this? You have to be so hot. So, anyway. Yeah. So, I'm mourning that, but I agree 100%. Yeah, no, I, I have no find. notes. It's it's perfection. Yeah, she is just perfection. I do think out of the way that just about any parent handles the supernatural bullshit. Not only is Melissa McCall's the perfect reaction, I also feel like she is one of the most realistic parents in terms of the reaction and generally just how she acts, how she treats Scott, the way that she yep. plays how she with her actress, Isaac, how she treats how Styles. She treats Isaac, I- Styles, I'm obsessed with them. Is she literally? I am. I am 100% positive. Either her actress is one of the best actors who just happens to be perfect at everything. I'm sure. Or oh, yeah. she knows what it's like to either be that den mother of all of the stray children in real life, or she had one and she plays it so realistically. She does so well. She cares so deeply for every single one. Scott's friends it does not matter the situation Scott says he needs her help even when she doesn't know what the fuck is going on she always says yes because she knows without a doubt the most important thing is trusting Scott making sure that Scott trusts her being able to communicate with Scott and being there to support him in the way that he needs so that he can come to her safely at any time (laughs) like it is so fucking beautiful I'm gonna cry a little bit I'm literally, there are fucking tears on my eyes talking about Melissa McCall. (laughs) So, you know, her name is Melissa Ponzio, the actress, and she has been in many CW shows. She's currently, I guess, in Chicago Fire, which I don't watch that show, but I know you watch, you watched at least one of the Chicago's. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I don't do Chicago, the rest of the Chicago's. I do Chicago Med. She was also 
apparently she was also in the vampire diaries i can't remember who she plays in that but she was in that for apparently many years and she is yeah she's hot as hell and fabulous but i think she goes Mm -hmm. back way to like back when the cw was the wb like she's been around wow i i I feel like we're unfortunately we're kind of missing because of the new situation with wb and all that like i think we're missing out our generation is really missing out on that new generation of former teen heartthrobs who are now being cast as parents in all these cw style shows and it's not fair i think every age deserves to see their heartthrobs like their Devin Sawas for example which was one of my OGs um grow up to play the hot dad in something like that's a dream of mm-hmm. mine by the way is well, to I write mean, a role like for Devin Sawa specifically to play the dad it hasn't I happened could, I feel like you can make that happen though I agree with yeah. I think that could really happen for you but I will say Oh shit! What were we? we I just had it, and then I ADHD because I can't walk away. It's okay. No, I was on on the. You were way talking about Melissa that. McCall. I think the oh, most right. unrealistic thing about Melissa and Joyce is that not enough people were trying to hit that. Both. Right. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. However, I will say I think that Melissa McCall is the evolution of Joyce Summers. I think that Joyce Summers was the '90s version of the most yep. chill parent you could possibly have had, while still having like a like a little bit of a dict- dictatorship in moments. Or when just she gets the I enough. don't get I don't get my teenager comedy exactly. Like yeah, that it's like that line she says where she's asking Scott like you know what what's up with you what's wrong with you and he like doesn't tell me she's like ah oh, freaking teenage boys and then there's that line right. later where she's like are you on drugs and he's like no and she's like have you done drugs and he looks at her and goes have you and she just like does <laughs> it's so good she goes uh, and then changes the subject it's right. so good yeah that would have been joyce if joyce was being honest exactly and i do feel like the be- the beginning of joyce we do not we don't have the best relationship with her as a viewer because Buffy doesn't have the best relationship with her. And the more truth that Joyce is able to glean out of the situation and find, like when she finally becomes part of, in some way, part of the Scooby gang, becomes aware of what's happening, a a switch flips. Her relationship with Buffy completely changes. And then when we see season five with Dawn, the relationship evolves even more because she... In this in this new world that has John involved, Buffy has always been responsible. Whereas yeah, the Buffy yeah. that we originally meet with Joyce and the Joyce that we originally meet, never responsible in her mind. Always the bad kid. And so in always this spring, out of the window, yep, exactly. Always being naughty, except just doing bad shit, burning down multiple buildings. That is a thing she did multiple times. And then when we see Joyce really get not only like as we see her learn and understand in seasons three and four, etc., but in season five specifically, we see a completely different side of Joyce because she now has a new idea of Buffy. And that, I think, really makes her, that like those seasons leading up until her death, essentially, it's really interesting to see her new vision of Buffy through that season five lens, because she no longer has that imprint in the back of her head of like, my kid was a bad kid once and I am supporting her now. Now it is my kid has always been the eldest sister and half like half responsible for her for this other half of me. I don't I, it's just really it's a really interesting dynamic shift that we don't see really ever because when yeah. do we have a moment that a, a character's mind is literally restitched with different memories, etc. But I find it to just be a very cool way that they handled it because when you see the way that 
their relationship evolves between the discovery of Dawn and pre-Dawn, I guess we'll say. Joyce has such a more like loving demeanor almost with Dawn around and then shows that more to Buffy too. Exactly. Like she is her baby. And there are a lot of moments where like Buffy and Joyce are butting heads because she constantly wants Buffy to be taking care of Dawn. Now we're we're back into that, you know, Winchester thing again, where you can show different facets of a parent. There's a saying I read once that something along the lines of no two children ever have the same parent. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's such a great, it's, I probably misquoted this, but like, it's such a great example of how if you have a parent with multiple siblings, that's also multiple opportunities or adopted kids or even like kids that aren't theirs like styles, but show up at their house. The way that they parent different types of people and characters tells mm-hmm. us more about them. And it also tells us more about the characters and how those characters respond to or don't respond to authority figures. So if I may, I think I can perfectly kind of wrap up a lot oh, of this stuff. My, my pa- if I can pattern recognize for a moment, because I can't help myself, I can skip over my honorable mentions. I'll put them in the notes later or whatever, because they're, they're unimportant. I think the biggest premise that I have taken away from our discussion today so far about parents is like, there's factors like, you know, the what point in the journey do they arrive? Like if you're Gandalf, for example, like arguably you know is it a parent is the parent the call to action or are they outside of the call to action coming in is it the absentee dad coming back in season three whatever but another thing i think is really interesting is a lot of these parents that we've named have had multiple iterations so like in the 1980s version of buffy there's a line where her mom walks up to her when she she comes in like after midnight and she her mom walks up to her and she goes do you have any idea what time it is and uh, Buffy has like the original Buffy has like this look on her face like oh shit I'm in trouble and she goes like oh 10 11 30 or something and her mom holds up her watch she's like see I knew this thing was slow and like she goes to leave and she's like good night you know good night Bobby and her boyfriend goes does your mom think my name is Bobby and she goes it's possible she thinks my name is Bobby which is again just a classic freaking line goes to show a couple narrative things one like you don't have the time to unpack a whole parental relationship in a vampire story if it's a feature which is Mm -hmm. a scope cop thing that I'll always bring up but also when you look at you know the 80s to the 90s and like late early aughts you know late 90s that the Buffy reboot the same thing goes for Teen Wolf by the way which I made the mistake the other day with my partner of going back and watching the Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf I didn't watch the whole thing but like did you forget do you remember that Styles is in that and he is like incredibly like flamboyant like I had forgotten that there was a Styles in the original I had also forgotten that in the original Michael J. Fox's dad is also a werewolf and like they don't even there's none of that lore it just he just his dad is like oh hey I should have told you about this like that we're werewolf it's hilarious the movie does not hold up the way that Buffy does wanted to like try to start his own franchise situation which I mean he kind of has at this point but like like, going for a different lore but yeah but this is why my pattern wreck is going off the charts because I love when you can see different iterations of essentially the same character like I don't remember if in the original Teen Wolf Melissa was even there like if his mom was even part of the picture but they went from like you know either having like an absentee or like unimportant mom character to having her be one of the best characters and then they have his dad not at it at all so the choices you make with which parents to keep in and which to lose or like the Joyce you know being from like the self-obsessed you know shallow yuppie mom of the 80s version to being Mm -hmm. Joyce the single mom badass like you know museum curator who can totally smash Giles you know like you see not just iterations but the evolution of the iteration of that parent style and you can see conscious choices being made by these creators either oh we're gonna do what they did before but better or no we're not gonna do that at all like we're gonna kill this parent and bring in this new one and I freaking love that because my brain handles things and figures stuff out so much better when it has like multiple iterations Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. of a thing instead of it being just like, oh, here's a good parent, here's a bad parent. It's like, well, here is six different types of cop dads, and you can pick and choose. You know, well, I now you just made me just why I like the Scream franchise so much and all of those other franchises that are happening, like these reboots. I'm yeah. obsessed with like the new Halloween reboots. Uh, they're totally re- like irrelevant yeah. to what reboots, but also when you but take a series, like it's the choices that are being made and how that impacts how we view the character and how the character views themselves, how they handle situations. This is why I think the parents, it might seem like an out of left field topic for us friends, but it really ties in to the character driven choices you make and the nature versus nurture discussions and the chicken egg questions and the generational trauma and all the shit we're always talking about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's a choice. And I freaking love that. So speaking of choosing, this is probably yes. a really good segue to our superlatives. on our segues today. We were doing so good with the segues. Yes. We're segway killing Can you please sponsor us? We said it so many times. I don't want a segue. I would kill myself. I don't want a segue, I'm really good on roller skates, but I would hurt myself. That's true. Money is good. Yeah. Someone give us money, exactly. please. <laughs> so, okay. So superlative awards, which are, are not well thought out and we don't care because it's just for fun. I made up a couple examples, but what's the, what's, do you want to go first and just pick a random one? I have been staring at number one for so long because okay. the answer is really obvious. So I'm just okay. going to go for it. So for the it. very first one that we have is most likely to have social services called if this was real life. And I think based off of the conversation, it's going to be pretty obvious who I choose. Mr. John Winchester. What the fuck oh. are you doing with those boys? <laughs> yeah, Can someone for sure. call CPS on him? He's crossing <laughs> state lines, like so many state lines. It's all true. The He's time. giving kids firearms at a the very young age. Would be on his ass. Also today, Teaching I them had how the to do best. wire fraud. Anyway, oh. so the next the next uh, award that right. I think really kind of fits with what we're talking about in a lot of ways, and I think I think this one you you and I will agree on, but I would like to put forth for best crisis management of paranormal bullshit award. I think Melissa McCall is, I, yeah, is definitely say, yeah. she rolls with it very quickly. She's a nurse. She's got she's an ER nurse, which means she's very useful in a crisis. But also she's seen some shit. Like she's made numerous jokes about how she's seen way weirder shit in the ER during a full moon with just regular human people. And I used to work in the ER, so I feel a hundred percent. My my in my mother in law, my partner's mom is also an ER nurse, and she has mm-hmm. that exact same energy. If a werewolf came into her place, she would have like a thirty second learning curve of like, well, weirder shits happened, and then she'd be right on that. So I a hundred percent. I think it's also realistic. I can agree with that. I would say Giles is the obvious answer here, but I think Melissa is the correct answer as somebody who. But does he? Lives... Does he? No, I don't. That's why I said the crisis. Said obvious because <laughs> or it does seems he, like he does. micromanage That's the, the crisis? That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm saying that he is the obvious choice. He is not the yeah. correct choice. The correct choice okay. is Melissa because she does know how to actually handle a crisis. She is the ER yeah. nurse. And yeah. as somebody who lives in a house with an ex R well retired ERRN, my mom has literally I would trust them hundred percent zombie like, apocalypse. Hundred percent. Oh, yeah. First person to want to the team. Yeah. She's literally pulled over on the side of a road after after like watching a motorcycle accident, been screamed at by like me- giant men in pain and ripped like towels and shit with her bare strength yep. and had other bystanders be like, trying to help and not be able to because she's just like the only yeah, one. Nurses, nurses are, ER enough. nurses in particular, like not mm-hmm. all nurses or whatever, but they 
they are badass as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you want to survive any apocalypse. You find an ER nurse, you make them your best friend, and you get yourself adopted into their family. And that is how you survive. That's and why. And that I'm- is why, again, the narrative choice to make Melissa McCall an ER nurse as her, as her single mom <laughs> job versus the narrative choice to make Joyce a museum curator which is kind of a very yuppie job you know yuppies were like the thing back then even then even though there were things that was able to tie in her job like some ceremonial masks stolen from indigenous people who were haunted or whatever that happened like very rarely did her job actually serve any purpose but to keep her always busy so she couldn't pay attention to what was going on you know what i mean like i feel like that job was not well thought out it was like here's what we'll make her and then we'll move on but yeah i agree you should pick, I think your your pick, I think, goes very well into number three, uh, oh. because that was my first thought. I mean, the category I is mean, best, yeah. I will be your father figure, I mean, yeah, also I, known as the I'm George Michael award. But if we're, if you're, if, exactly, the thing is, you're seeing the George Michael version, and that's the issue here. Because if we're going by the George Michael version, unfortunately... I have to make a very unfortunate decision. The George Michael version of this award also goes to John Winchester. That man can get it. What? Okay. Mm-hmm. That okay. man can get I, okay. it. So Jeffrey maybe... Dean Morgan. I will not say no to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. You do okay. not. No, yeah, no. You're not wrong. Nope. You're not wrong. I definitely think, okay, he's I'm definitely okay. in the daddy with a capital B category. Like that I can fix be. them. I could fix, I could fix John Winchester. I if I was a hot John single Winchester. like teacher, I want to, I, I, I would I would fix we're not we're not gonna go down that road. This is a thirst trap episode later, but I started off as a thirst trap episode. It's gonna end as one. Don't, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like we have parental again, therapy is a thing we need to do. But anyway, so right. so you're not wrong. I was more focusing, I think, in my mind on the words father figure than the oh, vibe of the song. I'm you're not aware. wrong. And that's why I specified this is yeah, the George no. Michael version of the award. Okay. Because otherwise, then yeah, the but obvious it's answer not, is Giles. Yeah, it would be Giles, right? Because it's right. he's a father figure and not really a father. But exactly. also, and, and I find this very important, he's sexy. But even now, and this might just be me, going back, I don't get skeeved out. You know, you no, know how sometimes never. you get kind of skeeved out by Unless like Anthony the father head. figure. That's Anthony head. Anthony yeah, being a little bit too, you know, yeah. And yeah. the thing is, he can be skeevy too, because like if you watch him as the dad in Merlin, as uh, Morgana, as Arthur's You're dad. Right. You are right. I have seen, I've seen it. You're right. He came into, into Buffy with the energy that he knew exactly what sort of dad Buffy needed. He, like, he tweed. It was the tweed. I feel like, I feel like the tweed specifically, and also the way Sarah Michelle, Michelle Geller played it. So where every time they brought up his like being sexy, she was like immediately like, ew. And I feel like, again, that was a conscious choice, whether or not it was written in by this actor being like, you know what, what, what we're not going to do is indoctrinate a bunch of young girls that the hot teacher who's like maybe a little too interested in their personal life is that's a topic for another day but i definitely think that choice i i I agree i credit her and not the creator and her and the writers but not the original creator with that right choice no i agree and like i said i really do choice anthony made a choice of his own to decide yeah, how he was going to deliver right. Giles right. to the world. He and I think he been, made the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he made the best choice because notwithstanding. Yeah. And like no right. no kink shaming on this podcast, I'm but like but I but I appreciate Anthony's that. version specifically. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. the character you're, you're that right. she brings to the and screen. And so, yeah, the Donald Sutherland, that? again, the Donald Sutherland version who was not Giles, right. but he was a watcher. He right. also did an amazing job of not not making it weird. 
It is a yep, decision. No, and is. once again, we have seen Donald Sutherland in enough roles throughout his life. Yeah. He has skeevy moments. Could he be could play that character, but he didn't because that was not the purpose. And he is creepy choice. at the beginning. He is really creepy at the beginning. But he I'm is writing not another category creepy. of no skeeve, no skeeve father figure energy. Oh, yeah, that's a really big one, actually. That is that's so important. Yeah, it's very important to me as well. So, OK, mm-hmm. the last the last superlative or the second to last, if you have another one you want to add is and this one, I think you're going to agree with me, I hope. But, you know, I've been wrong before. Best sexy. This is like an honorable mention. Best sexy right. aunt, uncle. Is there a non-binary word for aunt? I know that the non-binary for nieces and nephews is I don't use. I don't know. I don't use either of those for myself. I, I mean, when no, I say we need to, those, someone, non- please write us. Yeah, I someone, please email myself. us if you know the answer to this question. Like, what is the non-gendered yeah. aunt, uncle word? But yeah. that energy of of like, I am your parents' sibling energy, but hot. I, I don't have a, a, I have, I have, I have a potentially controversial and not literal example. And that is Derek Hale. Again, this is just because you're watching Teen Wolf. I I should have had a better um, answer for this, but that's the first one that pops into my head. Do you concur or do you contradict? I am in no way attracted to Derek Hale and his broody ass bullshit. So I will contradict. It has not. And like, that is the thing. I do not. But no, if you were in high school. You would not be I don't like want his help. He is okay. so unhelpful. He is, he is if I was Styles, if I was Styles, and I'm sorry, if I was gonna be in a YA fictional setting, I'm the Styles character and we know it. I would yeah, not be that asshole. Like he would piss me off so much and it would be an enemies to lovers like you know romance if it ever happened but i probably wouldn't let it happen because he's so fucking dumb and danny's right there oh i do love danny danny's an excellent character so danny styles so much (laughs) so so i think that's a good way i mean it did it did kind of that's on me i did kind of like take it in a different direction than parents it's just more of a curiosity but um needed to get out of your system yeah yeah so okay so okay (laughs) I would like to issue a challenge to our listeners and potentially to ourselves if we feel like it um, for a scene. This doesn't have to be part of the showy episode if we don't want it to be. But I think that this would be a great opportunity to challenge us to write a character, write a scene where one character from our AU Nancy Drew season four parents another character. And the parameters, I'm going to leave the parameters incredibly broad here. So in in the pilot episode, I had already kind of done this where I had Millie, Nick's mom kind of parenting George. Mm-hmm. But I also love the idea, like I could see you could 100% write you know like you talked about before like a an, a scene where best parents like ace or where there's that scene where like Nancy and ace kind of co-parent the dads basis like that's they just do, like but, the show already like they co-parent each other constantly that's and so that's why I think it's more of a for for our listeners if you haven't been watching the show I think it's a good prompt for you whatever project you have to be working on pick any two characters, they don't have to be literal parents, but pick any two characters and put them in a situation where one is either forced by circumstances or chooses to kind of take on a parental role of another character and how that shakes out. Because I think it's a great exercise, again, to do that chicken and egg thing. Is it that this character has a problem with authority or is it just this authority figure they have a problem with, etc. and so forth? That is my challenge. And with that, we can probably roll right into our outros if you would like. Perfect. All righty then. So with the challenge, we would like to thank you for joining us and being here per usual. 
This has been AU City, a podcast where chaos reigns and stories get told in no particular order. And sometimes we end up rambling for way too long about sexy parents. It's not it's not our fault. Sometimes there's just sexy parents. Please follow and rate us on your favorite podcast service, including but not limited to Apple, Google, Spotify, and Acast, which is where we're currently hosted. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at AU City Podcast on TikTok at Alternate Universe City. For special requests or just yell at us about how mad you are, uh, how much you like Giles, whether will they, won't they, whatever you want to do, parents, you can email us directly at aucitypod at gmail.com. And coming soon, we will shortly, hopefully, have an AU City suit on AO3 for fans to peruse all of our content in readable format as soon as our request for the new suit finally gets accepted. We're looking at you, AO3. Please accept us. Please. (laughs) And with that, we would like to sign off with our usual. Stay weird and remember to fuck around and find out with your art, gentle listeners. We love you. Daddy loves you. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That was too much. I'm cutting it out. Don't worry. You're not cutting that. It has to stay now. All of this has to stay now. This is, you did this beef.